This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Brittle Star, Stuart Reynolds, the world's favorite online dad, joins the Shift to discuss everything from the new movie, Anything to be Famous, and he's got uh, some advice on how to become an internet star and have some sustainability while we do it too, plus stupid things people do online for clicks. There's been a lot of talk about the new Sphere venue in Las Vegas. What does it actually look like and does it live up to the hype? Mike Yanni joins us filling in for Handy Andy with the inside details as he literally went inside to watch the U2 show. And are you okay with butterflies, designer dresses, and blue bananas? It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. You you know who Brittle Star is. Um, uh, Brittle Star is a guy named Stuart. He lives in uh, Southern Ontario. And he makes all kinds of videos. Through the pandemic, he was busy. There was lots of irony uh, to share with the world. And that juxtaposition, that irony, those opposites, the hypocrisy, seems to still be at the core of all things Brittle Star. Uh, although not all of it. I mean, Brittle Star does a lot more than irony. But really, Stuart, I mean, it's it's that's where you land is watching people and going, oh, my God. Is that fair? That's kind of fair. Yeah, I sort yeah. of find myself as well looking at myself sometimes going, oh, my God, what are we what am I doing? This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. lots of lots of content out there for sure. Yeah. Well, we are having conversations here on The Shift. Millennial on the radio, Ryan O'Donnell, who you've met, you know, on yeah, email yeah. and such. Uh, he does this this piece. And and in our conversation tonight with him away is about that. We're going to talk a little bit about how millennials say they're all about experiences, right? That's all they want. Give me the experiences. And then not only uh, do they want the experiences, they're not into stuff. So don't <laughs> give me the stuff unless it's a collectible that I spend way too much money on that I want a wall <laughs> full of them and give me the experiences, right? Like it doesn't seem to add up to me. No, I mean, it's just different. I mean, it's just, I mean, I can't imagine growing up in this age and in the internet age. I mean, I, I came into the internet when I was 20, 22, 23. I started using the internet sort of pretty religiously. And uh, even then I was, it was, it was so simple and it was so, I had to pay 10 cents a minute to be online. Yeah. I had to, di- had to dial a long distance number to get to the nearest server. And um you know, there just wasn't the opportunity for that kind of FOMO. Like, they're just, I was thinking about this actually the other day. This is just a slightly sidetracked, but I was thinking about this the other day about how, you know, you, you were, you, the technology forced you to be patient. Yeah. And that's, that's just not a thing now. I mean, no. that's not a thing. I remember all. how many times you got kicked out of uh, bulletin rooms and bulletin oh, board yeah. rooms and, and you had to log back in again. And then you were looking for that person that you were chatting with. You couldn't find them. Yeah. They probably got kicked out too. Not to mention the yeah. dial up time and not to mention that your sister was on a chat. Probably, and you couldn't use the computer for forty-five minutes, right? Yeah, totally or your or your soon-to-be ex-wife would be picking up the phone, be like, "Ah, oh. yeah, right." <laughs> and yeah. you hear the the chirping of the modem in the background, like exactly. You know, that's that's the um that is a big difference today, and and not only that, they've grown up with this massive influx of really bad ideas mm-hmm. that that come that come along. I mean, the notion that getting attention has to become more and more risky and inflammatory. Right. Yeah. What are you going to do next? What are you going to yeah. do next? I mean, that's a pretty slippery slope. I mean, as a business person, uh, corporate people do that all the time in marketing and, you know, they go, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's a sustainability problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. This doesn't happen when people don't have any education in that. And I heard a really great 
um, quote, and it's going to sound judgy. I don't think it's judgy. I say it because I think it's really pragmatic is that if you take this, I mean, you work in the realm of uh, influencers and, and all that stuff. I work in the realm of motivation and inspiration is that we end up with a bunch of people that aren't willing to do the work. And, Mm -hmm. and so in the, in, in the realm that I look at, what we end up with is a bunch of really inspired people that are too lazy to do the actual work. Mm -hmm. Right. And so (laughs) What the way that this quote was given to me, I didn't say this. I feel like I should just do that is we need to be really careful here because we're going to end up with a bunch of inspired, stupid people. And, <laughs> and, but that's really true. When you look at the internet, you have a bunch of people. If you look through the pandemic that heard a bunch of things about different opinions of life, about sure. politics and about 5g and all these things, they became really, really inspired people that weren't willing to do the work to find yeah. out what's going on. And, and these, the, the duality of this are the two most important things that are happening on the internet, especially with young people, Tide Pods, you name it, um, that they're in front of constantly with no filter, no, no yeah. self-awareness filter, no critical thinking until they're, it doesn't even start till they're 13, I think is what the brain science says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, I think that the thing that you have to remember with social media specifically as it relates to the internet, but um, is that social media gives you exactly what you want. And there's, there's a bigger lesson there for sure. The lesson is I, I, at least my perspective is that we're too stupid to decide what we should be able to get all the time. That's why we have rules. That's why we have lines on the road. That's why exactly speed limits. That's why people tell you, that's why your mother says you can't just have ice cream for dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, we're idiots. We're total idiots. And I think that we need to have these guidelines. The thing with social media is the way it's set up is that, it's whatever you want, it'll give you. And that, of course, the offshoot of that is it creates a whole culture of people who are ready to give it to you. They're like, what, what do you want? Okay. I mean, that's one of the first rules of business is like find out what people want and then sell it to them. And that's exactly what happens on social media. So I think it's a weird, it's a weird kind of both sides situation. But again, I'll, it's, it's, it's the side of like the people saying, uh, I want stupider and stupider things. And then people saying, I can give you stupider and stupider things. And, and I think my position is that we're, we're just stupid. We need, to have, we need to have guidelines. We need to have people to re- regulations. We have to rein it in a little bit. Uh, Brittle Star is a fantastic account. Follow it on Twitter, X, and, and socials like uh, Instagram, TikTok, and you name it. I mean, Brittle Star's background, it does include, you know, uh, audiophile, fan of music, uh, musician, um, artist, acting, all of the playfulness that comes with all of the different arts, plus the computer nerd that, that, you know, you spoke of there earlier. So that's where it all comes together. I think you'll enjoy it. It's very, um, it's very smart. It's very direct. Let me ask you this though, as we sort of established that part is when we watched us politics Mm -hmm. in the last few elections, I think that we, as people were very surprised at the response to different politicians and their opinions. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that now around the world everywhere, more and more. So we've seen, you know, wars break out recently. Mm -hmm. We, People are starting for the first time in the last real 10 years, maybe 15, but really 10 years of active internet. The mirror that's getting reflected back to us and we don't like it. And <laughs> yeah, but this is, I've said all along, we, like we live in rose colored glasses. If you think that turtles with straws in their nose, I love turtles too. I don't think they should have straws in their nose, especially from a dump in the prairies. That doesn't make sense. But then yet at the same time, um, this is the world, right? There are yeah. dictators in the world that want to kill other people so they can have more land 
And there are um, really bad people that hate people just because of a date. There are really bad people that literally will just take stuff. And this is really the world that goes on out there. We're yeah. so guarded. And then all of a sudden, the internet starts reflecting ourselves back at us, and we don't mm. like it. Is that fair from your view of this? Because that's the stupid part, I think. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that's the thing that people forget. People sort of seem, seem to think that there's this big separation of social media and real life. And as much as there is a difference between, you know, what happens, say, for example, on Twitter and the in the, the perspectives people have and what it seems like there's a wave of sentiment in one direction on Twitter or wherever, whatever platform, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, that, that's not reflective of everybody or an accurate uh, representation of that. I mean, the, the comedian Billy Connolly has a great line where he says social media has a way of making fanaticism uh, look real, look like it's come to life when it's really just some guy in his underpants in his mom's basement. Yeah. And it's very, very true. However, everything that you see, just the way the social media is set up with algorithms and it wants to keep you on the platforms as long as possible, it's there because you engage in it. You engage in it by lingering on it. Mm-hmm. You can hate watch something and then go, why is it so- showing me all this stuff I hate? Well, it's because you keep watching it. Um, that's... Both it's, it's both the platform's fault and your fault as well. Rubber but I think that yeah, it's rubbernecking, and I think we just have to. I think we will. If I want to be optimistic, I think we will get better at being selectively perceptive of about you know what we consume and what we take in. My analogy is always: it's like you and I go to a bar and we have a drink together in real life, and. I focus on the conversation you're having with me. There's a hundred other conversations going on around me, but I don't really pay attention. I tune them out. Mm-hmm. In social media, you and I go to the same bar, but I can hear every single conversation crystal clear. Like you're, they're standing right in front of me. They're all saying this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have to get good at kind of saying, no, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for this reason only. I'm, you know, I'm here to talk to this person. I'm here to converse with this person. And knowing how to wait those other conversations. Like if some guy makes fun of your hair or says something stupid about uh, I don't know, uh, puppies or something at the back of the bar, you're like, whatever, he's an idiot. Who cares? You kind of have to have that same attitude towards uh, social media posts. But I mean, it's difficult. We're still learning. Society's social media is just a baby. And people are just kind of now getting into using social media as much as we do. We've kind of been like thrown into the deep end. And people are now just learning how to swim in it. Mm, that's I've never heard it said that way. I like that bar part, right? And that's a great way to look at it is that fragments of conversations from here, there, everywhere. And then I would say that the humanity part that kicks in is we somehow feel like we're supposed to be an expert in all of it. And the the burden that comes with that, that we carry like, oh, I need to know how to design my house perfectly so I can have a tiny home. And it looks perfectly (laughs) like a cabin today. You know, let's go to Ikea. We're supposed to have that figured out. And then we come home with a truckload of stuff put it in our house and go, this doesn't look like the picture. I'm stupid. (laughs) Right. And so yet we do that. And I I see that repercussion of that. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, you see, I think the other aspect is of course you feel like you have to respond and we have to react to everything as well. And you just don't, you just absolutely do not. You don't, you don't, the the nightly news on television didn't used to come on and then wait for your reaction. Well, how do you feel about this news story? Well, you felt the way you felt about it. And the same thing is with, you know, radio news or, or newspaper news or whatever. They weren't, the editor at the newspaper was not waiting to find out what the letters of the editor were saying to guide them on how to cover news stories. It was just the news. That was it. Um, whether it be, I mean, obviously there was biases and stuff like that that needed to be fixed, but it was just, that was the news. They didn't really care. Um, 
it didn't matter what your your input was on it yeah. in that regard. And I think that's the big thing in social media is that people see news stories happening and feel like I have to react to this. And you, you just don't. The reality is you just don't. Yeah. I just learned in conversation from last week with Remembrance Day that uh, the notion that I carried forever, history repeats itself. It's a yeah. pendulum. It swings back and forth. And I've learned very carefully listening to historians that history happens and yeah. it doesn't repeat itself. In fact, it's been doing the same thing all along. We just stop paying attention. Um, <laughs> what repeats itself is our focus and our presence to yeah. it, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I've just learned that myself. So that aligns quite uh, a lot with what you're saying about conversations. Okay. Brittle Star is here. Uh, you are part of a movie and which is ironic because it's a movie um, that you like, you're like, you are more, you have more in common with a fitness trainer than you do. <laughs> I think just physically, I think yeah. you're right. Well, actually yeah. your physical stature, you are an athlete. Yeah. Um, Obviously. <laughs> um, the, but no, but you're kind of trying to work yourself as of a job, right? Like you call out all the things and then you're like, well, once everybody is more responsible online, I won't have a job anymore, but that's, <laughs> I'll find something new to sing songs about. Uh, but that's th this whole massive inflammatory, how stupid can it get? How big can it get? Now you do have a book. Out. We'll talk about that very briefly here in a minute, but the, this movie is, is mm -hmm. really great. It's a real hard look at how crazy things can get when social media people are trying to desperately get your clicks, anything for fame. Tell yeah. me what happened there. How'd you get in that? Sure. It's a movie called Anything for Fame. As you mentioned, it's a National Film Board production and um, most recently worldwide on, par on Paramount Plus and going to the States, I think sometime really, really soon if they haven't announced it already. Um, directed by Tyler Funk, who's an amazing director from North of Now Productions out in BC. And um, it's, uh, it's a fascinating look at the characters who are doing extreme things, as you said, to get clicks, to get views, to get likes. Some of them are making crazy amounts of money. Others are making no money. And they're both putting tremendous amounts of effort into it. It's fascinating. I think one of the things that sticks out to me is that when you watch the documentary, there's, like, there's so many reasons to be repulsed, uh, to be shocked, to be like uh, incredulous looking at things. It's just, it's, there's so many reasons to not like these people. But as the documentary goes, you realize, oh, these people are just trying to give us what what we want, what what they've been told that we want. And maybe we do. I don't know. And apparently for some of them, it's accurate. Um, and I think that's the fascinating part about it to me is that you kind of come away with it. There's a there's a character in the documentary that you you think, what an idiot. And then by the end of it, you're like, what an idiot who's actually, gosh, I, I hope he gets things straightened out. He seems like actually a nice guy. He just needs to find a way out. And this looks like a light at the end of the tunnel for him. Um so it's fascinating. It's, I mean, I was I was brought on as a as a little bit of a consultant to work with Tyler as he's putting the documentary and researching the documentary. Uh, both myself and my son, who's a content creator, Gregor Reynolds, uh, were interviewed separately for the the documentary as well. But we thankfully turned out to be not weird enough to be actually in the documentary. We're kind of the control group that kind of like look, well, not everyone's completely insane. Um, we're insane in a different way. We're insane too, probably just insane in a different way. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I was happy to be part of it and it's, it's, it's a really gripping, weirdly gripping, uh, watch. Hmm. Uh, it is wild because it does get into all aspects. I think the super extreme mm -hmm. stunts to the, uh, super sexy selling the sex and, and mm -hmm. all the bits and pieces as well. well and then just part. Not, yeah, that's your, well, that's that athlete part. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> um, the uh, it really does uh, it really does share a lot. What was your takeaway? What did you learn from that after seeing it again? We talk about the internet being a mirror back to you. Yeah does it does it cause you to maybe pause and reset for what you do? I mean, you are an influencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you go about it not from that way, but for the entertainment side of it. I mean, you are a great writer and oh, you I like to write that. things. Uh, so. Uh, did it did it make you go okay wow i need to reset this part i'm getting sucked in here did it did it cause you anything like that no i think for me early on like i've been doing this full time since 2013 uh just creating content for social media as a as a gig and it supports a family of four and you know we've been very fortunate um early on i decided that i couldn't follow the path of some of our peers and do stunts, do pranks, do practical jokes. Cause I, it was pretty evident to me. And I was, I was 43 when I started. So I was already an old man in, in terms of content creators. Uh, but I would looked around and I thought there's no way in two years time, I'm going to be able to keep upping my, my jokes, my practical jokes, my pranks, my stunts like this. That just sounds like a, a losing battle that I'm going to get hurt and it's not going to be fun. And I don't want to do that. So I was pretty conscious about not doing that. So I feel like it made me feel good about making that decision at the same time, uh, even though I think it's probably cost me a lot of money in, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's a sustainability that I feel like, yeah, I can do that. I mean, we literally have these conversations with myself and my wife, like, I can do this for another, like, probably 10 years, you know, maybe five, 10 years. I just keep on going, doing content creation. Um, and that's, I mean, that's wonderful. That's a great thing to be able to do is just sort of be able to get up in the morning and create stuff and, and connect with people and have value to people. But that's the takeaway from the, the video is that these people who are doing that, they're doing it for purposes of like making money or getting by or a way out of their current situation. But they're all entertainers. Like if their people weren't watching, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, that's the, that's the key. It is the key. And that's where the power of the consumer happens, right? It's amazing. Um, I do want to acknowledge, though, what you've created um, from a couple of different directions. The first direction is that, you know, you started out as an Internet, uh, you know, star. And now you are getting pulled into more um, traditional media mm-hmm. shows, right? You get invited mm-hmm. to be on some comedy things and and to be on TV things and obviously in this movie. So it it's interesting how that traditional way has started to pull you in a little bit. Um, in different ways, which is, I think, a compliment to the hard work and, and how the traditional media needs to grow and change. And, and they're looking at guys like you. And they say, well, you know, Brittle Star is doing it differently. How can we learn right. from that? So I think that's a compliment. But one other thing is you say you're 43 that. when you started. Yeah. A, a dad's online. Dad's embracing the dadhood um, is another yeah. thing that's really grown, especially in the last four or five years, I found. Uh, dad's staying at home. Dad's with uh, videos on the grill. Dad's with videos with kids. And then the man conversation Mm -hmm. has also changed. I mean, you have men that are uh, talking to men about what they're going through in life. And Mm -hmm. that comes from examples set by guys like you too, though. You are, you know, you were, like you said, you were 43. These influencers were 20. Yeah. If that, yeah. Right. And so you, you, you have created um, a different dialogue, whether you meant to or not. And to me, as a person who sits back and watches this and, and tries to do my own version of it here on the radio, I mean, men talking to men is an integral part that was missing 15 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And here we are, it's all starting to happen today. So I just think that part needs to be included in the conversation. Otherwise we neglect some of these beautiful things that are happening from this and just go, I can't believe that guy um, just tried to bungee jump off the top of the bridge. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's there's, there's that conversation for sure uh, as it relates to the film and some of the content creators who are in it and stuff. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, my thing is that you, you need to get involved. You need to participate. You need to, especially as a father, uh, as a parent in general, doesn't matter mother or father or whatever, you have to be involved. You have to be engaged. You have to at least have one foot in the world that your kids are in um, to, to be the best parent I think you can be. Uh, but then also like that that sort of guy to guy thing is also super important too. And I feel like you know, it's too easy to kind of get this cartoonish view of what a guy should be or what a dad should be. And there's tropes that you can play to and there's tropes that are funny and stereotypes you can mm-hmm. play to and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's fine. I think that's, that's totally fun. fine. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Exactly. It's it's easy and it's it's an easy way to kind of poke fun at that kind of thing. But at the same time, I think it's really important for, you know, I I, I don't want to overstate what I do, but I mean, I think that being a middle-aged, if I live to 106, white white guy, <laughs> um, then I think that it's good for me to sort of demonstrate, you know, a number of things that that can that can make the conversation a little easier with other guys who might like might be like me, mm-hmm. uh, like meeting other middle-aged white guys, and I think that's really important. I think it's. I remember talking to Shannon, my wife, at some point, like this is a number of years ago, saying I really want to just tell people how I feel about certain issues, and she's like, "Don't tell them, just show them, like just." Mm. That just showed good them advice, you, isn't it? Be a demonstrator, walk the walk, basically. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's why I think it's you know, it's it's just important for me to kind of wade into lots of different issues and 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 be like, it's okay, guys. Like I think that's I think as much as guys are guyish and manly manlish, I think white middle aged guys freak out the first. <laughs> they freak yeah. freak out the oh my god, they're coming for my beer and my back deck and my cargo shorts. Yeah. Relax, guys. You're fine. Yeah. You're going to be totally fine. Nobody wants your New Balance sneakers, bud. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to be okay. Uh, Brittle Star here. Watch the movie. It's really great. I mean, it is basically kind of like a, it's like a montage of stupid things people do and <laughs> some really grounded story that gives you some empathy. Um, we just had a piece on that we learned that you can't have empathy unless you know the story. And if mm. you can... Once you know the story, it's impossible to not carry some form of empathy that you're capable of. And um, and that's the neat part about the movie is that you sort of kind of walk away with, maybe you walk away with, that's sad. You might walk away with, oh my God, they're working so hard. Like they truly believe in this. Um, but you do walk away with a story. And I love the Brittle Star story. So uh, can you, can we reconnect uh, here? And I want to learn about your book. What's your book called? Yeah. Book's called Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse: Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon. Okay, <laughs> I try to remember Stupid Apocalypse, but I always got like Stupid Lock 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 Me. I can you did it perfectly. It. You did it perfectly there. Thank you. That's why you're here. You saved the day. Um, so we let's talk about that. I will put links up to all of this for you to see with Brittle Star at Shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group, and then we will come back and I want to know about your st- stupidectomy. Uh, <laughs> No, no, it's still very much inside me. <laughs> it's not. It's been not been removed. No, oh, very good. I love it, and we'll get uh, we'll get you back on, Stuart. Thanks so much. Sounds for Sounds great. Here. Thanks for having me. This is the Shift Podcast.
Sitting in for Handy Andy Barrar, who is on vacation, is our very own Mike Yanni. The gadget guy is here. You can see him on Global all across the country in the mornings. He's one of those early morning people, but he's also a nerd. So he gets up and you know takes apart his VCR and puts it back together again before work just for fun. Hi, Mike. Hey, it's good to be talking to you again. Uh, Mike and I have known each other for a very long time. We worked in the same building forever, and I always get excited, Mike, when we get to have a little visit. And thank you for being here. Appreciate that. I, I really do uh, enjoy this. So thank you. The uh, the I enjoy, I enjoy it just as much as taking apart my VCR. Oh, there. <laughs> and wow. put it back together. There you go. That's good. <laughs> You're right up there. You're right up there. That's that's pretty high standard. I like that. Wow, what a compliment. Um, so you went to the Sphere. This first conversation about Vegas, the Sphere. I know that a lot of people are talking about Taylor Swift concert tickets and um, Rolling Stones albums and all these amazing things that are happening in music today. And you went and saw the U2 show in the Sphere. There's an awful lot of people that have thought, well, maybe if I'm it's Vegas, but maybe if I'm going to go, I'm going to go for something off the charts, mind-blowing. And the Sphere is a, um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a concert venue, essentially. It's an entertainment venue, and it's a big ball, and it's built like a ball. In fact, the screens on the outside were built by a Canadian company. They're out of Montreal. It was called Seiko or something like that. Um, they built the outside, and then they got the contract for the inside. And they did all of the work. So there is a Canadian connection to that. And then the very first act that gets booked in this is U2. And it's a long run. And the only break they take, I think, really is for the F1 races because someone else needed it. It's quite quite incredible. You went. Now, did you go as a U2 fan? Or did how did you sell this to your wife? Did you go as a U2 fan? Or did you go because you wanted to see this thing up close? Okay, so full disclosure here. I'm kind of lucky because my wife loves concerts. She goes to every concert she can. So when I pitched the idea of going to U2 in Vegas, it was not a hard sell. And and Vegas is not a hard sell for us. We like to go have uh, have a good time. Part of me, it was the nerd in me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I you know, there's the FOMO. I don't want to miss out. I want to be one of the first to experience the sphere because there's been so much talk what, for a year now, almost two years as they were building it. And, and we've been to Vegas before too. And we're seeing in the stages how this sphere is coming together. And, and I couldn't wrap my head around, how is this going to work for a concert? So when I heard about it, I'm like, you know what? I'm jumping on. And I lucked out. I honestly, I lucked out. I got tickets. I didn't have to get them from a, a, a third party. We got them right through Ticketmaster. And, and yes, it wasn't cheap, but I didn't pay nearly as much as some of the other people I ran into that night. So all in all, it was a win for me both from the, from the nerd in me. And I do like you too. I'm not a diehard YouTube fan, but I can clearly, I appreciate their music. I enjoy a lot of their music. So it, it was a win-win. We booked our tickets and off we went. Good. Okay. Match made in heaven. This, this marriage, we're good yep. to start. Okay. So tell us about, I mean, uh, you, you were there, you know, this, so get us started. Cause I know you have a lot to share with the experience of the sphere, including a hook for everyone to stick around it dying mid-show. So let's get started with your first impressions and what you carried with you. Yeah, you know what? I think the best way to describe the sphere is like a planetarium. Uh, you know, maybe that dates me, obviously, because I don't think really planetariums are, are really around anymore. Okay. However, you know, they everything from the moment you walk in, they did such an amazing job. You walk in 
and you feel like you are in a spaceship. And this is before you actually get into the sphere. This is, these are the walkways. This is the lobby area. You walk in and it has the glowing blue LEDs that are pulsing on and off. It has that spaceship style music um, and, you know, the ominous voice that speaks to you every once in a while. And they actually have robots on in the lobby when you walk in that greet you and you can interact with them. And they're all powered by AI. Unfortunately, it was the day before they were actually going to hit the switch to turn them on. So we didn't get to interact with any of the robots. Mm. So that's something um, I'm still curious to talk to somebody who's actually experienced that part of the sphere. But overall, beautiful, a beautiful venue. Um, and then you walk in through the doors and you're greeted with the sphere. And I've got to tell you, it's, it's a little bit mind-blowing. And it's a little bit awe-inspiring because you walk in and for the first time and you see it, it's huge. It's, well, it's 20,000 people. Like if you think of your favorite hockey rink, um, it, yeah. is, it is basically like 18,000 seats, 20,000 people, and uh, 10,000 seats are haptic seats, which are the ones like the, you know, when you go to the theater and they move yep. and stuff. So like, so like it is as big as your favorite hockey rink in a ball. But the funny thing is when you walk in, you don't even – look at the seating because it's kind of like we were like halfway up and right in the middle, but you don't even notice the seats. Mm. You just see all this huge space and you see that the screens in front of you all around you and you look up and it looks like it goes up forever. It's, it's just so big and to the point where we, you know, we went to our seats and full disclosure, if you get vertigo and if you're not good at like steep inclines, you should know this going in because the stairs are steep. There's, mm. there's just a railing on the stairs. But when you get to your seat, there's nothing to hang on to. It's a very, very narrow walkway as you kind of shimmy to your seat. And if somebody's sitting down, it's a little bit of a charades act to get to your seat. Uh, my wife and I, we, we sat down. And a few minutes later, she said, I'm, I'm just going to run, excuse myself, run to the washroom. She didn't tell me this until after. She was about to throw up. Mm. just sitting there looking down at the pitch of the seats and then seeing, of course, the stage in front. She was feeling really nauseous. And this is before there were any visuals on the screen. So she went to the lobby. She took a gravel. Uh, I came and joined her because I thought she was getting drinks. And so we, we got a drink and went back to her seats. <laughs> Where's my drink? <laughs> and, <right? laughs> I just thought that was her polite way of saying, oh, honey, I'll get you a drink. Oh, um, <laughs> Maybe not a match marriage made in heaven after all. <laughs> right. No, she actually did bring a drink. So oh, nice. <laughs> she knows me well. Um, and she sat down. She's like, okay, I feel much better. I was like, oh, what's the matter? She's like, I was, I was about to lose my cookies. I was feeling very nauseous. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, very impressive. And you feel tiny. You feel like this little ant. Uh, but from the moment you sit down, you start questioning what is real and what's not real. Um, I, I don't want to give any spoilers away and this does not ruin anything about the concert at all. So if you are, have your tickets booked for, you know, December, I'm, I'm not ruining anything. And I know the show just got extended till February, but you sit down and you're, you're like, you're like looking at the inside of the sphere and it's concrete panels all around. And then it kind of goes up really tall. Uh, and it looks like a Coliseum at the top. And we were sitting there and we we're just kind of looking around and kind of in awe. And it was like, wow, there's, there's a, pigeon caught in the sphere up top oh wow what's gonna happen when the band like how does that happen how does the pigeon get caught in here and once that band starts playing once you two gets on the stage 
it's going to be interesting to watch what happens to that bird. And, you know, we're sitting and we're the DJ's playing. That's the opening act. And, you know, and then U2 comes in and you kind of forget about all that. And the band starts playing. And then all of a sudden, um, as, you know, they start hitting some of the bass lines, dust starts falling from the concrete. I bet. Kind of like, oh, kind of weird. And number, and number two, weird that it's a concrete sphere. Like, it sounds going to sound horrible in there, right? And then the dust continues to fall. And then before you know it, the blocks fall. And you realize those, those concrete blocks didn't exist. Oh, it wow. was just the display of when you walked in. They wanted you to make you think that you're in this concrete bunker. Didn't exist. That oh, no bird way. that was flying. Yeah, the bird Because I've seen that picture of the, the cement walls. And I was like, well, that thing looks yeah. ugly. I know, right? And then you realize that pigeon doesn't exist at the oh, top. Wow. It was just there for to make you, you know, different things to look at as you're waiting for the show to start. There are other things too, and I'm not going to give this away. If you look around the top of the sphere as you're waiting for the show to start, there are these quirky little things that happen that make you like, what is that? Is that supposed to be there? And then you realize, of course, it's all just part of the show just to kind of build up what they can do with the sphere. It's it's pretty cool. And we haven't even started talking about the visuals of when the concerts start. Yeah. Right? Wow. We've seen these worlds that we often challenge our philosophy anyway, if nothing else, our believability. Truman Show, Hunger Games, living in a living in a dome. Well, that dome exists now. It's the sphere. It's in um, Vegas. Hopefully, it's not a survive for the rest of your life to the death kind of scenario that it is in the movies. But the, the Mike Yanni went filling in for handy, Andy Barrar, U2 show. Uh, if you just missed the first chance there chat there, we're going to share that on the podcast as well as this uh, to get us to this point of what it's like when you walk into the sphere in Vegas, 20,000 people, 10,000 haptic moving adjustable feel seats. And that's a lot of people sitting in a ball watching shows. U2 uh, is the show, Mike. When you started to watch the show, because I, I mean, the first videos I saw were the ones from outside and the very first time they lit it up. And this is like 16K resolution. Mega, which your gadget nerd must have been like, whoa, hello, nurse. Right. <laughs> oh, when those screens turned on, it, it is so sharp and so crystal clear it is unbelievable because yeah you're right as soon as i see something like this i'm starting to i want to nitpick i'm like oh i can see the pixels or you know i can see this and you cannot it is so brilliantly clear and when the screen's turned on when youtube starts playing and you begin to realize that the whole facade that we just talked about falls apart and the visual starts coming at you it i'm sure my mouth was open because it's it it almost gives me shivers talking about it even right now because the visuals are incredible this the visuals were built by industrial light and magic so i mean come on if you're going to get any company to make your your special effects and your visuals why not right get george mm-hmm. lucas's company involved so you two starts playing and not only are you seeing visuals in the front it's like a planetarium it's a sphere so there are things coming from behind there are things coming at you from the sides and there are times when you are just looking everywhere. You don't know where to look because something is happening in almost every corner. And it came to the point where it's like, I, am I watching you two or am I watching the sphere? Yeah. Because it, there's so much happening that I felt guilty not watching the band. Well, that was my, that was going to be my question is it's kind of like, what was the entertainment? I mean, did you two even need to really be there because they're just kind of like the house band for the feature show. It's true. It's it's like if you went to Cirque du Soleil and U2 was doing the background music. 
Who would you watch? <laughs> Who would you would watch? you watch the acrobats or would you focus yeah. on Bono? Yeah, right? right. Because yeah. they're 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 both really big draws. And we actually ran into a couple. I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit. We ran into a couple outside. This this woman looked at me and she was confused. She's like, I don't know what I paid for. I don't know if I paid seventeen hundred dollars to watch Bono or to watch a screen. And she was kind of upset because she was like, I don't know if it was worth it. Um Full disclosure, I did not pay $1,700 to see that show. And we'll get to that in a second. That's how much the drink was. That price. That's not yeah, how much. Almost. That, yeah. It was actually $1,500. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a spectacle. When the visuals were working, there were times when, um, you know, like that Matrix Code graphics where it came on the sphere and it it went up the sides and it felt like you were falling down as the visuals went up and then it capped on the top and it came down and it felt like you were going to get crushed. It's that dramatic. It's amazing. And then after about five or six songs, you're really getting into it. The energy is up there. It's like an 11 out of 10. All of a sudden the sphere goes black and somebody with a headset jumps on stage and starts talking to Bono. And of course we can only hear part of the conversation. And all we can hear is Bono saying, but I, I kind of want, I still want to play. No, well, that's okay. But can I, can I not just play at least like at least another song? And you're waiting and it's like, is this part of the show? What What's happening? And so you just, you know, you continue to hear this one-sided conversation and, and he ends saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. And then he starts making chit chat with the crowd for like five minutes. I'm like, okay, something's obviously going on. Like, it sounds like he's killing time because I mean, Bono, they're not known for their stage show. They're known for their music. Yeah. Um, and he's not great at chit chat and small chat, especially when you're that far away from, from the crowd. Right. Um, and then he started playing um, some, some older songs, zero visuals, just a black sphere for about, I would say five or six songs. And the momentum all of a sudden goes from an 11. The energy level goes from an 11 to a three. And then it's like, you were in a full out rock concert and all of a sudden you go to an acoustic set and, People were talking. People were leaving to get drinks. They were going to the washroom. And he mentioned something about the console went down. That's what Bono said on stage. That's kind of what we overheard. So we assumed that, hey, something went wrong with the sphere and it went down. And then about six, seven songs later, all of a sudden it just roared back up. And the energy level went back up to 11. And it was, you know, Madhouse again. So I did research online. I'm like, did this just happen to us? Or has it, why is no one talking about this? And some people have said online that they do kind of shut down the screen for a couple of songs, but ours was for probably about six or seven songs. It seemed quite a bit longer. Um, and huh. when we, once again, when we went outside afterwards, you're talking to all these people, everyone's talking about the experience. Some people paid $2,700 to be there. Mm. And I, because I'm not a diehard YouTube fan, I was getting restless during that time. And I yeah. felt like if the whole concert's going to be like this from now on, I'm okay to walk out as well. Wow. It was strange. Isn't that interesting? That's so telling to when we look at especially shows like today and you look at those big DJ shows and the music festivals and all those things, would you go uh, if it wasn't cool lit, you know, spectacle of yeah. fireworks and smoke and all the things. And it's horrible to say because I mean, come on, it's you too, you know, and I'm not a diehard fan, but you too, they're an incredible band and it almost hurts me to say I was ready to leave, you know, five songs in when there are no visuals. But part of that is the nerd in me that I also came for the visuals just as mm. much, uh, you know, for the band itself, but it certainly was great conversation as you're trying to get out. And 
full warning if you go it takes forever to get out mm, because you're all funneled Twenty thousand people are funneled through the same area so it took us almost i would say an hour just to get a block away easily really? maybe an hour and a half it takes okay. that long and don't drive by the way do not take a taxi walk because you can imagine all the ubers and taxis trying to get into one parking lot it was a nightmare um, yeah. but that's sorry that it went off on well, my there. nerdy <laughs> self says that can't be safe right my my old man dad right. self was like that can't be safe yeah. um wow that's that's quite remarkable to think worth it though i mean that's really the question yes and and then let me put this into perspective i okay so i paid i paid four hundred dollars for the ticket which is a lot mm-hmm. but i mean concerts it's not expensive. absurd compared to a lot of stadium shows though yeah and i know postcards from earth which is the regular show when i looked for tickets when we were in vegas they started at 179 for an hour show so when i think about okay i paid double but i got to see you too with an incredible experience for at least two-thirds of the show yes 100 percent. and if you are a diehard youtube fan even more so yes it's it's a no-brainer would I have paid seventeen hundred or fourteen or twenty seven? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. As cool as it was, that's a lot. And as you asked, don't forget, that's yeah. a lot of money. The other thing I need to point out too is that we were talking about those haptic seats. They don't use that during the concerts. Yeah, I bet. So you're really just paying for the visuals, the haptic seats, the um, environmental controls that they call with the hot and cold air blowing. That is not functional, and the scent. They have scent um, cartridges too that can pump in through different scents. Yeah, that does not function during the um, concert as well. So yeah. I almost wanted to go see postcards from Earth just to see what else I was missing. The you know the techie in me, but I wasn't going to pay another two hundred US to go back to this. It's a very Vegas thing to pump in the smells, right? Right. Yeah. Um, here's here's kind of what I think because people were saying, okay, do you think this is the future of concerts? And part of me wants to say yes, and. Overall, when you think about what you two did and Industrial Light and, uh, uh, you know, the company's individuals, the visuals, it was incredible. But this was their first crack at it. They've never done anything like this before. You have to keep that in mind. And there was one point where, once again, I won't give anything away, but 99% of the show is all visuals around you. There's nothing on stage. The stage is tiny. It's, It's basically a record player. You have a, a bare bone stage. It's all made of LED lights. So, I mean, it, it lights up and a little turntable and that's it. There's nothing on stage, nothing for uh, you, to, Abano and the crew to interact with. Um, at one point, there was a digital image on the screen and it tied into something physical on the stage. Hmm. And that is when it was like, wow, you know what? If you could do a full-blown stage show, something like maybe Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga could do, tie it in with the circus of the visuals around you mm-hmm. you've hit the nail on the head that i think is the future of concerts right there if you can marry the two so you don't feel like you're missing out because if the screen goes down then you still got something on stage to still wow everybody rather than just rely on one thing if you can marry the two that would have been an incredible show and i think that's where it's going to go like i said it's the first time they've ever done this before I have no doubt there's rumor that Lady Gaga might be the next act in there. Mm-hmm. She's all about the stage show and the visuals. Yep. I think we're, you're going to see it evolve from even from this first show. Yeah, that's amazing. And the sound, did they have their own PA or did they use the Sphere PA? They used the Sphere PA. Yeah. Um, 
everyone has, that I've talked to has raved about the sound in the sphere and a lot of like those earlier reviews of the first day. And I have to say, I don't agree. Mm. Um, there was feedback. Uh, some of the higher notes kind of resonated and were kind of a little hurt your ears a bit. Yeah. Uh, and Bono, when he talked, it was a little bit muddy mm. and it was actually hard to hear what he was saying. Now, once again, going back to that interruption, I, I had to go to Reddit afterwards to see what people were saying. And somebody said they were at that show and they saw somebody escorted out by security, or actually by police. They were arrested. There were rumblings that it wasn't the sphere that went down the night we were there. It was problems with the audio that somebody had cut into one of the audio cables and tried to bootleg the concerts. And that, they got arrested and they got escorted out. And those were the problems. It wasn't the visuals. It was the sounds that night. Mm-hmm. Whether that's true, I'm not sure. But it certainly would make sense if our audio was not that great. Yeah, Because well, people have been saying it sounds amazing. Well, and maybe it sounds amazing for the Sphere show that's built that way, not necessarily for the concert. they got to figure that part out. There is 1,600 speakers. Uh, there is 167,000 speaker drivers so you look at your old school speakers back in the day remember those ones i mean those usually had a woofer and a tweeter maybe a three-way if you had uh, a lot of money right you could have a mid speaker in there too um that would be three 167,000 speakers in there too so quite amazing mike yanni filling in for handy andy uh gonna come back and spend some more time with us too i appreciate that and uh, there you go all things sphere mike fifteen hundred dollars for your your rye that wasn't accurate either that was just a joke by the way not quite. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, brother. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? All righty. Demi's here. She's in Calgary. Tally's here. She's in Vancouver. The fellows will be back tomorrow night. I'm Shane Hewitt. Are you okay with bananas? Banana. <laughs> Every time I have a banana. Oh, God. Banana. Are you a banana? Are you a banana eater, Talia? I am. Okay. Buy them every grocery trip. There's currently, I think, 20 in my freezer that I'm planning oh to make. I, I'm I'm losing the banana war because I can't eat them fast enough, but I like yeah. baking, so I try to make banana muffins or bread. I put them in my smoothie from the freezer like that, too. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I should really start mm-hmm. doing that. It's good, yeah. Demi, bananas are cheap. Yeah. You're frugal. Bananas, yes, bananas are cheap, and they're delicious, and they're healthy. And I used to eat bananas a lot when I um, would like do running competitions. Mm-hmm. Now I eat them less because I do. They do always go bad for me, and I'm I'm not a baker, so I can't mm. bake them into anything. But I like them. Did you know that bananas come in blue? Nice. Very well done. I love it. Ah, uh, Gwen. Um. I think it was Pharrell, actually, who did that song with her. Really cool. Anyway, Blue Java has been making its way around the internet, and it came in an email to us here on the shift saying, or a text message saying, hey, is this a thing? The Blue Java banana, it feels fancy when I call it a banana. Yes, you should have your banana. I don't think you should do that. 
<laughs> More commonly, the blue banana is a natural fruit that boasted a bubblegum looking, uh, f- bubblegum flavor and color. Now, here's the thing. It, it made its way around the internet about this blue banana that tastes like vanilla. And is it a thing or not was the text message that arrived. It's a treasure. It's a true plant. It's uh, Asia and Oceania. Bananas grow in humid, sunny places like Fiji, Philippines, Southeast Asia. Hawaii is also home to some of these blue bananas. Now, the classic banana varieties that we know, I love heat, grow in tropical places. Blue is more resistant, can actually grow in cold temperatures like minus 7. That's not what makes them blue like your fingers and toes, just to be clear. Now, to make it more desirable, the banana... Um, is said to taste a little bit more like cake. That's why some people have reviewed it as a vanilla flavor, but it doesn't taste like vanilla. But it's not actually blue. It's not blue inside. It's not like a a blue anything. It's a bit of a misnomer. It's been uh, doused, if you will, online. It is a very blue-green when it's really, really, really uh, new. What would you call that when it's not ripe? I don't know what that word is. Ripe being when Um, the bananas are yellow. Unripe when when you know how bananas are green when they're too mm. when they're not ripe not ready they're not ready when they're not yummy Sorry. too bitter <laughs> so they're actually blue green in that state but by the time they become proper bananas they're they're no longer blue so it's a bit of a misnomer so we did seek it out thank you for the text message and if you have anything you want to send us go to shiftheads.ca send an email from that page any questions and we. We'll dig deep into the investigative reporting about blue bananas. <laughs> Are you okay with designer dresses or for the fellas designer clothes? I don't like anything designer that has a name on it. I don't want a name on it. I'm not a billboard. So, Demi, do you like the fancy? Um, I've never heard the comment. I'm not a billboard. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, no, I, I, I don't know what I'm saying. I lost track. You, you threw okay. me off with, I'm not a billboard comment. Um, it was banana. No, 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 I don't really wear designer clothes. I have like one pair of Lululemons that someone bought for me that are very comfy, but, um, I don't understand the hype of buying something just cause it's pricey. Right. Talia fancy. You like the fancy? If it's worth it, like I have okay. a pair, like obviously living in Vancouver and BC, there's a lot of rain. Mm. So I do have a pair Heard of, that. I think you got to experience some of it too <laughs> when you were here. Um, but I have a pair of Hunter rain boots and I love them. Okay. But would I buy them again when the, when, when their time comes? I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Well, this designer dress is gone to a next level. I don't know if I understand it, but some criticism from animal rights groups has one designer apologizing after trapping live butterflies inside a dress. That's nice. Look at this, eh? Well, it's like song day on Are You Okay? I like this. All right. Uh, butterflies um, wouldn't take any advice from this because they were trapped, which is Hannah Montana, by the way. Um, they were trapped inside the dress on a runway. The dress, you know how the dress comes out, kind of like you see on the on the washroom sign shape of the dress over the hips and 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 that. Demi, 
Demi's frowning at me. I'm trying to describe. I don't know what it's called. The, the skirty like part. Like an umbrella. Like an upside like down an umbrella. Like umbrella. See? Oh, there no. Like a right sideway umbrella. Yeah. Not upside down. No, wrong kind. Not anyway, it was basically like a, 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 a cage where butterflies were flying around. Uh, Undercover is the brand. They had their terrarium dress, which contained flowers and live creatures in summer uh, 2024 at uh, Paris Fashion Week. Now, um, people aren't big on this. They're saying animal rights are, are fighting for insect welfare. PETA is all over them, causing um, June uh, Takahashi to apologize and say that they were sorry about this. The designers backed off now. He said he wanted butterflies in his show to be safe and healthy and noted that his team ordered them from an ethical breeder, gave him proper nutrition, ample space to breathe and fly, but still apologized because he trapped them in a dress. However, he did note that he regretted trapping butterflies that could fly freely in the sky and promised that he would never use living animals in his designs again. But they're butterflies. That's a living thing. And they were, yeah, but they're, I get it, but they were fed and they were, it was no different than a fish in a fishbowl. And then they were fed and they were cared for and they had room to flutter around. I don't know. Is it? I don't know how much room they would have had in a, in a dress. You just see the dress. It's like a right side up umbrella. It's not that much when the usual place is the sky. But they were in captivity before he bought them. I don't know. Anyway. um, uh, we'll put some pictures up at shiftheads.ca. You can decide for yourself and get in the conversation online, part of the Facebook group, so make sure you follow along and jump in on it, will you? Shiftheads.ca, you can link up there. Uh, butterfly lovers, unite. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 